0: Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to today's Irish Tech News Podcast. In this edition, I talked to Jeremy Tisser, the composer of the critically acclaimed BR shooter Raw Data. Jeremy has also worked uh, on other video games and TV movies as well we talk a bit about his other video game work and also about music and video games and how it's progressed over the last uh, 20 to 30 years. So in the interview today, I'm just going to discuss a bit about your uh, background and basically the music that you're creating for the, uh, for the uh, video games, for the v- VR shooter raw data games. Sure. Yeah, and, and in the past, I've also interviewed a, a girl called Emer Noon. I don't even know, you know where she was. Oh, uh, she
1: she's a very dear friend of mine.
0: Yeah. I interviewed her last year for about an hour, and she was great.
1: Oh wow, yeah. She is she is one of the funniest people I've ever met and an absolute sweetheart.
0: I interviewed her husband Stuart, as well, and another nice guy as well, so I got them both last year. And also Russell Brower as well.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love Russell. Yeah, he's great. He's a and... big old teddy bear.
0: Yeah. So I interviewed each of them separately, I interviewed uh, her via Skype, and I interviewed Russell and Stewart in person at a conference in Ireland in video games and music. And uh, oh, cool. Stewart was very good, but Russell was, Russell was amazing. The stuff uh, he knows.
1: Yeah, I mean, worked for how many years at Blizzard? And he got his start at Epcot, yeah. for, at Disney World, writing all the original music over there. It was incredible. <laughs>
0: It I mentioned to the me about Basil Pistorius, basically, the stuff he did for Conor and how how influential that is now in video games. He goes, that's one of my heroes. He goes, how did you know about him? He goes, well, actually, that's one of the best soundtracks of all time is uh-huh. is that. And then says, and that stuff is what you see now in, in, in Blizzard games based on that, more or less. Wow, so he was I didn't in, realize that. He was impressed, that actually, that I knew him. He says, look, I love music. I love soundtracks. And I love it when a soundtrack fits Fits the game perfectly well, like that. Huh. And uh, Conan Barbarian is one of those great, great, epic soundtracks.
1: Oh yeah, definitely one of the best of all time.
0: Yeah, I said whenever, whenever I see that movie, I'm thinking of basically the games that are, the uh, the games that you help create because that is from that all the epic score and everything else. And it's and it's the same right now. If you look at Lord of the Rings stuff was in that. That's very. Based on that as well, Howard Shore stuff, brilliant stuff. Wow.
1: I never even put two and two together like that. That's, wow. Okay, now I'm going to go back and I'm going to re-listen to all of these things, but with a different set of ears, because that's incredible. I didn't, I never thought of that.
0: Yeah, well, for me, basically, I, I just love music and I love soundtracks. And for me, a soundtrack, if it's a video game or a movie, it, it, it adds to it. Like, if you look at, basically, Hitchcock, you've got, her, you've got Bernard Herrmann, what he did... And then you got oh, yeah. Spielberg. You've got John Williams. Everything that Spielberg has done has less been John Williams, especially like stuff like like Jaws. We hear it, and, and something like that there. And then, then you've got other stuff we did, like Schindler's List. You hear and stuff like that. Just great stuff. And then I, I just love it when it, when somebody who does uh, music for video games or, or or a movie, a TV series, they add to it, and it of like another guy is Ennio Morricone. Whatever I hear any of this stuff, no matter how bad the movie could be, you know it's going to be a great soundtrack. He, make, he makes it better.
1: Yep, yep. And, and I think uh, Jerry Goldsmith would fall into that book because I know it's a lot of Jerry's movies, he didn't quite have the best of luck with yeah. the movie itself. But his scores were always like... I mean, I, he was—he was my biggest inspiration for raw data. You yeah. know, I mean, the, the guy is just his orchestration and his sense of rhythm and meter was just unmatched. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, there's like, I mean, even
1: his scores that got thrown away. Yeah. are like better than more than film scores today that are coming out in some of the
0: biggest movies. He sounds like Prince. That he's got so many songs. You you haven't heard? you haven't heard. Just hidden away in the vault somewhere. And if it came out, you'd be going, Aww. wow. Because I, I know a lot of artists, a lot of people, they always just dismiss their best work. And then when you, when you think, well, why? You're good at what you do. And just because it's not use your stand doesn't mean to say it's bad. No one's going to be perfect every day. Right. It, it's like trying to be, it's like trying to be uh, Picasso. Picasso's going to have bad days and good days. But even in a bad day, Picasso is still amazing.
1: That's true. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. I mean you think about John Williams, and people will say that some of Spielberg's later movies and some of John's later scores are underwhelming. But that's under you're saying underwhelming compared to Close Encounters yeah. or Jurassic Park or Schindler's List. Yeah, they're still very much overwhelming compared to everything else being
0: made. <laughs> yeah, and then when you hear something like Star Wars, right, a lot the Lost Ark? And the moment the, the officer kicks in, you know it's John Williams. And you know, basically, what are you, what are you doing? is something that he can't probably get to that level again, but he's still going to be good.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in The Force Awakens, I will say, the first time I saw that one in theaters, I noticed something. Yeah. He was hinting at the Force theme throughout the whole movie, but the only time he played the entire theme was at the end when Luke Skywalker turned around. And I had the biggest set of chills I've ever yeah. had in a movie theater. It was like, it was a masterpiece. It was it was 60 years of training that built him up to how to craft a story using music. And it was just, I mean, they always tell you, hint at the theme, hint at, when you're in school, you know, you want to hint at the theme, don't give it all away, you want to build to it. But he took a theme that everyone already knows, and he, he gave you the expectation that you're going to hear it. But he never gave it to you until the end, and it was just even after 40 years of Star Wars, it was just there, there's nothing out there that did that to me. It was incredible.
0: Yeah to me, he's also a bit like John, uh, John Barry, and that you have got his great lush orchestrations in the background that fill the mm. picture up. He's yeah. I really like as John Barry, like out of Africa is one of those amazing soundtracks as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just pure orchestration 101. It's just so good.
0: Yeah. And if you he heard, if John Barry was to do anything like on a video game right now today, think what he would be able to do because he just knows how to, how to create a scene and, and make the scene perfect.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. You know, the, the craftsmanship that came out of that generation was just, I, I mean, there's very few people today that can even come close to that level, in my opinion. You know, I mean, there's a lot of genius. There's a lot of brilliant music being written right now. But it's just there was a craftsmanship that, you know, before all the technology came to everything, and it was purely about music and movies. And there was no technology to get in the way. You just, you had your, you had limitations that forced you to think outside the box and get creative to make something good within the time that you have. And I think... You know, that's that's one of the things we're all missing right now, but it was amazing.
0: Because I guess right now we're living in the world of an age when we have basically stuff like Pro Tools, and that in a way just make it as real as it could be.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which will take us into raw data. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, because I'm used to basically, I had a friend of mine who did a course last year on uh, on video gaming a couple years ago, music, and they did a lot on Pro Tools and that kind of stuff, but he says... I, I miss the old times when actually you had a real band and real orchestration doing this, rather than all uh, me- mechanized. I
1: I agree one hundred percent. And like my thing was always coming out of graduate school, and for the last six years, it's been I have to put at least one element live on yeah. everything I do, and, and that's kind of says a little bit of where the world's gone. If if the goal is to put just one live element on your score at a minimum, then it's kinda like, well hold on a second. Why can't we do the whole thing live? But it's because of what technology has done, which is a good thing and a bad thing. You know, you got two sides of the same coin and it's it's just it's really made it made it interesting. You know, the journey is the 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 main journey for a composer is the same but the, the tools have cha- have changed a bit. But right now, I can see a lot of live instruments are coming back. Orchestras are starting to come back. The scoring stages in L.A. are busier than they've been in years. So it's, you know, and then London is booked up a year in advance. You know, so it's kind of, you know, thing, things are starting to turn around. And hopefully we can get there again.
0: <laughs> okay, right. Now, we're going to talk today about uh, your, your background in the... Uh, VR shooter raw data. So tell us a bit about how that uh, how that came about. your work on that.
1: Sure. So I've been uh, I've been working with some of the guys at Servio since we were all in at USC University of Southern California to get together. Um, I was in graduate school, and James eilif the chief creative officer, was doing his undergraduate degree, and um, we actually met on a different project that was this other lady's uh master's thesis project and it was a virtual reality game. Um this was six years ago now. And Palmer Lucky was building the head mount displays for it when he was still working in the mixed reality lab at USC. And and James and I just we clicked really well. Um, he loved the music I was writing. I thought his designs were beautiful. I was getting inspired by the designs he was creating, and he was getting inspired by the music I was writing, and we just clicked. Um, Then when Project Holodeck came along, James was the producer, and he brought me into that, and everyone there liked my music that I had from other things. And so they brought me in to write the music to Wild Skies and Zombies on the Holodeck. Um, This was now five years ago. And then a year later, Project Holodeck turned into Servio's, and then two years later, so two years ago now, yeah. they called me to write the music to Raw Data. So it all started in graduate school, um, and we've just all remained good friends, and I've kind of been on the journey of watching them go, and then they call me in when they need, and it's just been it's been good.
0: Yeah, well, I guess over the past couple of years, the technology has, uh, has improved graphically, and, uh, and also cheaper to uh, yeah. make these games, and in your case, it's cheaper to orchestrate as well the music.
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean, when we first started with Project Holodeck, we were doing room-scale VR um, before HTC Vive was even a thing. And uh, the Oculus Rift was just a headset on that had just completed its Kickstarter. So we, what the guys at Project Holodeck had done was they took a bike helmet, a <laughs> yeah. PlayStation Move, and stuck it on top of the b- bike helmet, looking mildly inappropriate. And then they had this giant backpack with a laptop in it with cables going to another computer. And you kind of had to make sure you didn't get tangled with the person you were playing with. And the, the head mount display was attached to the bike helmet. And it was essentially ski goggles with a screen on it. And it was very grainy and it was very easy to get nauseous. You couldn't really spend more than five minutes in it. If you if you were able to spend ten minutes in there, it was because you've worked with this stuff on a daily basis and got used to it. Um, but it was it was funny, <laughs> you know, lightsaber duels and this with a giant PlayStation move sticking out of the out of a bike helmet. Um, so to go from that to just a set of goggles that's lighter than an iPhone, you know, with one cable that they're trying to get a, get rid of. So the next iteration should all be wireless. It's just incredible to see where that's all gone in, in such a short amount of time.
0: Because I can remember two years ago, I tried Oculus Rifts, and I, I was told that you could get seasick. I get seasick very easy. When I, when I used it, I felt fine using it. I said technology has improved so much now that in five years' time, nobody will get sick doing it. And then same with the music. The music has, has come on so much that 20 years ago, the music you would have heard would have been an 8-bit bleep on a keyboard, and now you're hearing everything, guitars orchestrations, vocals, a whole lot. It's great how it's improved.
1: Yeah, I know. It's, it's it's true. And it's amazing. And the, the fact that limitations back then, they couldn't support the size of the file of audio. They couldn't, they couldn't support it back then. So they had to work with coding the music directly into the game, yeah. you know? So it's just, yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And nowadays, it, with traditional two D consoles like the Xbox One, you know you've got full surround sound now, so you can even write surround sound music for a video game. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's great to see because I, I can remember years ago playing Pac Man and had the and it was simple tune, but it was catchy. But when you're doing a game video game now, the sound, the the music has got to be more than just that. It's got to be atmospheric, Like for example, Halo. When you hear that, you know you're in for a hell of a game.
1: Oh yeah. Star Wars Battlefront. Yeah, Gordy Hab.
0: Wow, <laughs> I've played that. As a again, when you hear in that, you are hearing great music. And nowadays, a lot of these games, the music is now basically has become basically part of atmosphere.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, they have you played the new Doom game? Not yet. Um, Mick Gordon basically took an industrial metal score that's just one of the heaviest things you've heard and created. The sound of doom, and it, he's created the atmosphere while writing something that just really amps up your adrenaline. And it's it's one of my favorite uh, game scores to come out in recent times. But I, I have a metal background, so yeah. I went nuts when I heard it. But mm. just the fact that that could go into a video game as a score, as a soundtrack, you know? I mean, good luck trying to do that
0: in a movie. <laughs> yeah, lucky game We have a game called Carmageddon. Oh, I don't know that that one. That's a game from the late 90s. It's a car racing game where you try, where basically you race. It's a bit, it's a bit like like Death by 2000. You go around and you have a car and try and uh, get around, it, around, it, uh, around a circuit like four or five times. And to get bonus points, you kill pedestrians. And the soundtrack was was uh, is an industrial um, metal as well by by a band called, uh, I think it's called uh, Fear Factory. I don't know if you know them.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: they, yeah, It yeah. was their soundtrack. Wait, really? Yeah, and it was in the late 90s. All you hear is really, really aggressive guitar and everything else mixed uh-huh. in with keyboards. And this is before they came death metal, before they came growly vocals. All you hear is his loud, heavy guitar and everything else, and it was mind-blowing. To get that and the video game, I was so impressed. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, I remember for me, my version of that was Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Yeah. <laughs> when when all of a sudden I think that was the first game to put songs in a game and you could choose what songs you wanted to listen to I mean I I got huge into the band Goldfinger because of that game and it was just I remember my friends and I would play it would play that game just for the music and it was you know the game was fun you know it's a skateboarding game Tony Hawk was huge we all loved that in the 90s Um, but you could play songs and we would all just like take turns having a good time to that so that's that's one of my earliest video game memories of, of music just changing everything, and, you know. But it's just, yeah, it's amazing to see where we've come since well, then. Well,
0: for me, it's like GTA, because GTA over the years, the amount of music, music you're hearing in that game, you, you wouldn't have heard elsewhere. You hear like songs that are basically 30, 40 years old, and we hear a song, you're going, so that song was sampled by that rap star, by a rapper, and it's now in the game. So you hear an original song, plus a sample as well, it's brilliant. Oh, wow. That kind of stuff is great, because when you hear an audio, like 40, 50 songs on a video game, and there are songs in all different genres, so you can hear a Johnny Cash, or you can hear something like Metallica, or you can hear something like Guns N' Roses, or something uh, <laughs> extreme like a, like a, L.O. Like, like Cooge, all the different kind of artists all together on the one soundtrack. It's brilliant to hear that.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Because <laughs> I, I love when a video game can bring in outside artists and songs as well, because sometimes uh, certain video games fit certain songs that are already out there, and you need to bring them into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's fun how sometimes that just works itself out that way, you know? And But that means that they did a good job telling the story and, that, and creating the project. For something to just melt like glue, you know, it's a sign of quality artsmanship. Yeah. Artsmanship.
0: Yeah, because for me, when I when I when I hear when I hear some kind of 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 game soundtracks, I'm not too impressed because all all I'm hearing is, is, is too much keyboards, and nothing much else. I want to hear some atmosphere and maybe only gain some loud guitars. because I like, I like guitars as well. <laughs>
1: Did you have a chance to listen to Raw Data?
0: Not yet. I haven't had a chance to yet, but I will do. I okay, <laughs> I intend to because I'm am I'm a, I'm a big fan of when I right read about what you're doing with guitars and everything else. I'm impressed because. Some game like when I when I hear the guitars ramping up in something like uh, in, in games like a uh, Halo and the guitar kicks in, then you know you're in for something.
1: Well, yeah, raw data is loaded with guitars. I'll I'll just say that.
0: <laughs> That's good because because when when you when you hear the guitars, you know you you know someone's going to get some ass kicking.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very, yeah. Halo does it in, in just such a such a brilliant way yeah well halo is just you just know one so those different
0: yeah it's one of those games that once you start once you play halo it's one of those just iconic games and it's so unique and so different than anything else out there yeah it's like the first doom game years ago and that came out <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I remember that <laughs> yeah so do i and i remember before that uh, wolfenstein as well for doom and that oh my god you know, i was obsessed with wolfenstein so was i <laughs> and Ditto's Digital, voices, Min Lemon and everything else. It, it was a great game, but the graphics were okay. And then I got the uh, the new version that came a couple of years ago, the new version of Wolfenstein, and they aren't too bad. But the, they still missed the charm of the old one, but I just love the way that when they reimagined Doom about three, four years ago, or five years ago, they brought in a kick-ass soundtrack as well, the updated soundtrack. Yeah. So um, yeah. I mean, for me, basically, what you're doing is you're actually uh, reimagining our, our, uh, our what we're going to see in the game. So your music, painting the picture, has an element to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, you know, if
1: if anyone knows, if anyone's played Raw Data, basically, what they did was they took the idea of a wave-based shooter and a tower defense game, they combined them and added a story to it, but. You know, a wave-based shooter is still a wave-based shooter. And when you've got five phases you have to go through, I wanted to do something different with the music that kept the player engaged, kept their heart pounding, and made them want to keep going with it. So the idea behind it was to create little mini-stories within each level that just added a layer of fun and intensity and adrenaline to it. And I I, I think I achieved that. (laughs) Um, and that was you know that, and then on top of that, there is the linear storyline of the game itself, and I had to make sure that we stayed within that as well, and we tied everything together, so it wasn't just little blitz of music here and there, but it was actual a story, even though each level contained its own musical story, then there was the whole overarching story of the game,
0: yeah, because at times I've played games where the, the music suddenly ends early and you, you're left stuck and you think what's going to happen next? Because some my view, the music is meant to tell you, give you a hint, what's going to happen next. Like, if you hear kind of slush orchestrations, like I've heard before in, in Doom, and then suddenly, in, in loud noise, you know there's trouble ahead.
1: Yeah. The only thing that we ever did in that sense was the ambient track still needed to kind of, you know, when nothing's going on, when you're not in the middle of fighting, we still wanted the, the player to be on the edge of their, of their toes. You know, yeah. we, wanted, we wanted you to be up. We didn't want you to sit down and really relax and say everything's okay because you're playing a game where robots are trying to take over the world and kill you, so nothing's okay until you win. Um, so we wanted to just make sure of that so that you are always on, on edge. You were always a little amplified. So even when the music calms down a little bit, it's still, you know, you know what's ahead because of just the nature of the game. Um, but then there's the story element too, that gets unraveled as the game moves forward. So we don't, we, we don't really give too much away with the music, um, in terms of the story itself, but we help move it along.
0: So you're like, uh, 90s nails when they did the quake soundtrack and it's atmospheric as the background. Uh,
1: a little more, a little more than atmospheric. I'm much more a melodic kind of, kind of writer, you know? Um, but yeah, it definitely adds to the environment. It adds to the atmosphere. When the when the action starts, the music starts. You know, when the when the action stops, the music quiets down and yeah. and it does its thing to kind of yeah, I guess it would be atmospheric to kind of help put you in there and put you in the mood you need to be in for that moment.
0: Yeah, because when I first played Quake years ago, i remember playing Quake, and the Trent and Reznor soundtrack. When I heard that, it was just something I hadn't heard before. It was so so different than what i normally used to, and very industrial. But it was great because you didn't know what was going to happen next. I don't think I ever played that one. Yeah, well, it's, it, was, it, was, it was the one that was done after they did Doom 2 or Doom 3. Doom 2 things. They did the... Uh, in 96, they recorded... Uh, they released this movie, this video game, Quake. And they basically updated graphics. And there was kind of some idea, you're, you're stuck in a, in a place trying get to get out of there. And they had basically... Trent Reznor did the soundtrack. It was all like induction metal soundtrack. And it was kind of really, really good atmosphere. So one minute, you could hear the hear your guitar in the background. You might hear keyboards, everything else. But all that, it's atmosphere. So you didn't know what was going to happen next. But the music was telling you what's gonna, to w- watch out. You're going to be in trouble soon.
1: Huh. Yeah, that's, that's fun. And, I, and one of the things I really like about video games is the, the um, interactivity of music that you have today that you didn't you know, back in the 90s or whatever. Today, video games are all player controlled, right? Back yeah. then it was, you had you had to go from this point to that point, and that was it. And as you approached, you started to hear music. Nowadays, like Skyrim is a beautiful example of when you're walking around and there's no music, and then you get approaching near something and some beautiful music plays, right? And then you're yeah. approaching a cavern and there's bad guys afoot and you start to hear the trembling the bad music come in and then you know so everything just fades in and out with multiple layers based on what the where the the player chooses to go and that that to me is like that's the biggest challenge of all and it's it's that's fun.
0: <laughs> well I guess for me because we can now build open world games and open sandbox where, you, where in the past when you had a video game like maybe like Mario music was cute but you're stuck on the platform you only go so far whereas now video games you can explore anywhere you want within the game and you might have a thousand square miles of video games to explore like in Skyrim for example or GTA or other games or what you're you're doing right now with the uh the games you've been involved with because you got an an open area to play with the music can change so easily so very quickly according to where you are in the game yeah yeah it's true
1: and you know the idea that anything is possible and you're not trying to recreate reality, but you're trying and, – and this is – I think this is the difference with virtual reality versus 2D games is in VR, the player is actually the player. They're actually the character in the game, and you're – you're with 2D games, you're so far removed. You know, even if you're sitting at your PC two feet from your monitor, you're still kind of pushed back from it. Yeah. And with the, if you're playing on your television, you're still pushed away – from the screen itself and you're using a little hand controller with raw data and with VR, you are the player and you're you're in the world and it becomes it becomes your reality and I think the music has an even even more of an opportunity now than it did before to really go there with that and really put you in it and really like adapt with the player's movements and motions and decisions. And even though it may adapt in the same way that it would with a TD game, it feels a lot different just because you're just because of the headset. Yeah, it's it's amazing how if you you put the screen three feet away versus on your face, how it changes. Yeah, and even if it's the same game.
0: Yeah, and I've seen games there where you've also got a you can wear a bodysuit, and when you get hit as well, you you feel some pain as well. But you're wearing a headset as well. Really? Yeah. I, I've seen. I know the IMAX
1: VR centers. They have that backpack with the, the base on it. So when there's a, a gunshot or wind burst or something, it rumbles and you feel it. But I've never. I haven't seen one yet with the, like a little jolt or anything. But that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of basically because in the past when you been playing a game years ago, when you got the old Nintendo Sixty Four, they had the rumble stick where they, where the where the controller would shake when you're playing a game. But the fact yeah, that when you're that. playing a, playing a game now and. Uh, if you get hit, it's like you feel a slight, a slight twinge, like a mini kind of a taser burst, which means that you're actually feeling. So you basically you're more on edge. So when you're playing the game, I'd to get hurt. I want to survive. I want to live. I want to live. Wow. Where's that? Do they have one out here? <laughs> I've seen demos as a, a on a, a, on various various websites. And I'm not sure if this has actually been released yet, but they're talking about doing these things and showing them off. Oh all. wow. And when they come about, if you're playing something like a, well, if you're playing a game, for example, like a Call of Duty, for example, that's the kind of game where it's going to be really, really interesting. Ooh,
1: yeah. I mean, that would suck if you take a headshot, though, and your head gets zapped. Yeah. But if you're playing
0: playing that kind of game and you you, you can feel, basically, if you're in a a war zone and suddenly a bomb blasts over you and... your your headset shakes as if as if you're in a war zone. That kind of stuff. That'd be great. So you, yeah, that wow, that'd be amazing. So you can actually feel that. And then when you're doing that, also you're hearing music in the background. And what happens then is, as music is playing, the music suddenly does up uh, like if you're watching a war movie where suddenly the uh, sound gets distorted. So you've got yeah, to, that's why that to me is going to be the I think the next big thing when when that comes in because then you're going to get really interactive gaming because you're going to be so worried about will survive and get you more on edge and makes you uh, makes you more realistic
1: well i think though the the, the interesting thing about it is and well, and i i think that's an awesome idea i think it'd be so much fun i wonder if that would be a market for the VR arcades as opposed to home buy to to like the consumer market because vr is already it's already got its own challenges and I, I've heard a bunch of top VR people speaking about this at panels, you know, at various conventions. And the idea is, right now, you're asking a person to go out of their way to put on a headset, to put on their their contro- hand controllers, to clear out space in their living room, and then to go and play a game for however long they desire. And it's kind of a big ask, you know. When you've got, when you've got the Xbox... You just turn it on. You can even just turn it on with your remote with the remote. You just push that X button, hold it down, the whole thing turns on, yeah. and then you just put sit down on the couch and play a game. It's easy, right? Yeah. But with VR, you're asking someone to put on this contraption already and to invest themselves into it and it's the word I've heard used is that it's intrusive. While it is fun and it is a whole different experience. The, the thing that I wonder is, are people going to be willing to then add a body kit to it that they also have to put on?
0: I'm sure I think maybe it'd be for maybe in the, in the military to train soldiers when they're going to in the real world how to fight, probably.
1: Yeah, that's a great application. I know I, I study martial arts and one of the things we do is we have to learn to take a hit and a kick. And so, you know, we train with shoes on because it honestly, it's just more real world specific if you're training with shoes on because who's going to get in a fight on the street and be barefoot? <laughs> so we actually learn how to how to do that. And I and I know they do that in the military as well. Um, so that would be an interesting application to learn what that feels like.
0: Because I'm thinking, remember the last time you saw Bruce Lee where uh, go barefoot? He never did. He always, he always wore some shoes. And saying when you yeah. have somebody who's in a military area, they're always going to be in the worst possible scenario and best thing is preparing for that. And with these VR games and headsets and body armor, they're prepared for what could happen.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a And that's that could be huge. You know, people here in the military, you just hear gunfire, you hear an explosion and it can already trigger... Some sort of effect where you you know people get all nervous and stuff because they've never actually been around a bomb so if you can't if a bomb explodes in the next town and you feel it if it if it's not the first time you felt it you're already used to it yeah. you know so it's well I don't know about used to it that's probably not the right phrase but you know what I mean like you're already it's not something brand new
0: no but also I guess it means like because remember in World War one there were soldiers. Who were on the front line and they got shell shock and they and they were told, "You're fine. Go back. Go back to trenches." Nowadays, by using this VR VR headsets and equipment, you can actually tell if somebody's going to if somebody can actually handle being frontline or not with this. And if they can't, you know, give them a give them a, give them a job in back office. They can't go on the front line because you know they won't be able to handle it.
1: That's that's true. That's smart. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm just thinking because I know that for a fact that uh, when you see somebody and then they're told, okay, first time you're going out the front line, you haven't heard a bomb in your life, and then suddenly you're hearing one. If you hear it in a video game, you're used to it, and if you think it's going to scare the hell out of you, you're not sure what's going to happen. You think, okay, no, I don't want to be here. I'd rather be like Klinger I'd rather be like, rather be like and Mash and stay behind the lines and basically dress up as a woman and not go, not go in front line. I don't want to do that. Yeah because you know it's true yeah because you and, and yeah
1: oh sorry go on, go
0: on. <laughs> sorry yeah well I'm just thinking that basically because what you're doing with, with the stuff that you're doing i think in 10 years time when we look back what you've done now it's going to look like intended 30 years ago
1: that is so weird to think about by the way and it's something that you know my wife and i talk about and my colleagues and i talk about and even servios and i we talk about this kind of stuff and it's you know, to think about, VR is so new, right? Raw Data is, fortunately, for, it's considered one of the top VR games in the world. And I think that's cool. But it's like, you think back to the days of Mario and Duck Hunt, and yeah. those are like the classics of video games. And even today, you know, people that, well, I guess it's mostly my generation, um, that plays all the new Halo and Battlefront and all these awesome games, But we all go back to Duck Hunt still. And, you know, like I have friends that when they do game nights with their friends, they bust out Duck Hunt and they just start playing and it'll turn into a drinking game because it's just such a classic. And it's it is crazy to think about, you know, how in 10 years time, VR people can look back and say, oh, yeah, I remember Raw Data, you know, that that is one of the first major games to come out. It's just it's weird to think about when you're involved in it, you know, that that this is a new technology and this is where the future is going and that we're going to look back on it. Um, it's really weird to think about <laughs> for my shoes because I still look back, like I said, at like the su- Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo 64. Yeah. I still have my Nintendo GameCube with NHL Hits 2002 and Crazy Taxi. You know, And I thought that was the coolest thing when I could finally play Crazy Taxi at home and not at the arcade.
0: Yeah, I've still got at home a very old handheld Nintendo little... Uh, Little Machine, and he, he was there. one the where Game it, Boy? Yeah, no, it was before Game Boy. It was the early 80s, where it was Aww. Mickey Mouse catching eggs. Mickey, Mickey Mouse would, would catch eggs, and he'd move the mouse around the screen. It's kind of like a, a small kind of a mini version of, of a Game Boy, but one screen, black and white, and you could just catch eggs. And eggs would come down from Aww. the end, and you to control it with the controller to catch the egg. That was black and white. And then within about six years of, of seven years of doing that, you got the got the, the Nintendo game console came out. So it's like basically when you're doing it, so it's like you're moving from black and white handhelds to a color video game system. I think that in in 10 years' time, what, what you'll find is a 16K, a 20K system. Graphically, it's going to be so superior to what you're doing. Now you think, how do we live with games, with graphics that, that, was, that were what they were then?
1: Wow, that's so weird to think about. But yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, I found... This is a funny little story. I um, was going through my old bedroom at my parents' house a couple years ago, just looking for some to see what what I hadn't taken with me. You know, um, they wanted me to clean out the closet, and so I go over there. I open a drawer, and I found my old Game Boy, the black and white one, the big brick. Yeah, I found it, and it had uh, it was either Pokemon or Legend of Zelda plugged into it. Um, those were like the Pokemon blue and legend of Zelda were like my two favorite games for the game boy. And I look at it and I still had the big black shoulder bag that those, that thing came with. And I was like, I wonder if this thing still works. It had been sitting in this drawer for like 15 years, mind you, you know, or maybe longer. And so I pick it up, I flip the on switch, the thing turns on. I hadn't used it in fifteen years, and it just turned on. Batteries worked fine. Yeah. Graphics, the buttons—I just literally sat there and played my Game Boy for like ten minutes before I was like, "All right, I got to get going." But this is awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've got home somewhere an old Atari Lynx handheld game console. That's went back oh. pretty far.
1: That's that's awesome. And, and at <laughs> yeah, top- Sur- in they have an original Atari console with the joysticks and that, that barely cool. move and everything, and they still turn it on every now and yeah. then and play it.
0: But for me, now and again, seeing back and looking back about, about the old, uh, the old, the old Game Boy, and you still bring up the nostalgia of of these games. It's still got something about them that stand out. But when compared to today's technology, you're thinking the graphics are, are are cute, but they're not up to standard today. And music isn't what it is what, what you're getting now. Right? Yeah. Today, the
1: possibilities are absolutely endless. And with with creating a game itself, the only limitation is the code that you can that you can make. You know, um, I don't know. Have you had a chance to play Servios' other game, Sprint Vector? Not yet, no. Ooh, that's a fun one. I, I, I was not involved in it, but I've gotten to watch it go from being just a little demo to what it is now. And it's that is a fun game. They've created parkour in virtual reality. Oh, nice. Parkour and racing. And it is it is incredible. They They had to build a gameplay mechanic that allowed you to run while you're standing still and while you but make it physical and make it active and so people you know at e3 and at gdc um at comic-con people are going nuts over this game you know the lines were just huge and there people are wanting to race and they hold they hold competitions at conventions around the world to see who can get the best time and the person who gets the best time each day wins a prize so people are just getting in line and coming back and and trying to to get and it's Man, if you have a chance to play Sprint Vector, I really recommend yeah.
0: it. That is a fun game. Because parkour games, do you remember a game called Mirror's Edge? No, I don't. That was a game made about seven, six, seven years ago, and it was basically it was a game where you go around the, around a city based on parkour, so you're jumping over over the city, and you have to try and de- defeat the bad guys that are chasing you. One way is to do parkour, so you're going around the screen, jumping over jumps and doing things and at times if you made the wrong move you'd slip have to start over again from the uh, level again it was so annoying but it, it brought Parker uh, to 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 modern game notions yeah that this is kind of like that spring yeah. vectors kind of like
1: that um there you i don't want to give anything away cuz i don't know what's announced um, i know that currently the game that's out there is you're racing against a partner and you are jumping over obstacles flying through the air blasting things out of the way um, i actually don't know i know they've been working on it and i don't know what changes they made to it but i know that that's the core of the game and it's awesome but they but like i said they serbio specializes in what's called what they call active vr so there's you know you have games like star trek bridge crew right which is great you get to be on the bridge of the enterprise and you get to be a part of the bridge team, and you can play with five friends, and each person takes a position, and you work together to command the enterprise. But you're sitting still with a you're sitting at your desk with the Oculus Rift on, and you can use the and you use I think you can use the touch controllers, yeah. And you can turn your head and look, but you're sitting there, you know, so you could still sit for a couple of hours playing this thing. But with Servios, all their games are active. You're up, you're standing, you're moving around. So they found a way to do parkour while you're standing, where you have to physically—if you want to—if you're running, you you have to turn your body to turn your character, yeah. and it's hard. It's not easy. You don't just like turn about face to the right. You know, you actually have to physically pretend you're turning and running, and you're using your arms to run and flail, and it's just. It is. At, oh, man. All right, got to play that
0: game. <laughs> yeah, I intend to play that when I get a chance. I mean, thanks very much for the uh, for the call, Jeremy, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in future game in the future, and uh, have a great day. Thanks for that.
1: Thank you so much. You Thank too. You.
0: Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Brennan. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.